0: Hola, pod peeps across the digital domain. It's the Deacon's Pod, where spirituality and justice meet real American life in the 21st century. I'm Deacon Dennis. Say hello to my co-conspirators, Paulist affiliate Deacons, Deacon Tom and Deacon Drew. Well, hello, faithful listeners. We are all back. The wheel has stopped spinning the wheel of summer. I am now in Central Florida along with Deacon Tom. He's in the neighborhood, so everybody's
1: back from their travels. How's it going, guys? It's going very well. I'm not in Central Florida. I'm in New Jersey, and I'm wearing... As you can see, a, a light jacket. It's a little chilly here. But what surprises me is I see that both of you are each wearing either a sweatshirt or some sort of overcovering. I mean, you're in central Florida. Yeah, it's
2: barely getting above 70 today. Tom and I are cold, huh, huh? So. Yeah, yeah. It was 38 yesterday morning, 47 this morning. So we were right we that northern blast come down here. he brought it right? actually from Connecticut. He, where did he come uh, from? Connecticut a couple of days ago. He brought it with him. Uh, Connecticut, Connecticut, I think they called it.
1: <laughs> tell me, how is it? Being in a parish up north in the northeast, and then coming back down, how do you guys adjust to the change of parishes?
2: Not well. <laughs> kind of ugly. <laughs> yeah, we'll be talking with Father Frank uh, when I'm in Maryland. There's five parishes that I go a to, lot of, and um, that's a lot of parishes, right? You um, go to it's a it's a challenge because you're not doing ministry in five parishes. I, yeah, you talk about a uh, parish shopping. I. No, I'm not doing anything. I'm sitting there. No, you're doing what research. Are, um, you're not just no, sitting, you know, sitting there. What the future of the church is? You uh, are
0: doing research, field research.
1: Continue. So, continue. so then, just so our listeners know, then is it fair to say? I don't mean to pin you down. That you're doing, both of you are doing your primary parish ministry, I should say, in Florida rather than where you used to live.
0: No, no, I'm when I'm in Connecticut, I'm on the rotation at Holy Family and St. Columba. So, I I do a little bit of ministry during the summertime okay. Okay. when I'm up okay. there.
1: So, you mentioned it, Tom. Today we're going to get to talk to Father Frank DiCiano, Paulus' father who we all know very well because he runs the Paulus Deacon Affiliate program, which we are one yeah. of I'm looking forward to it. Future, I'm right? really excited to talk to Father Frank today. It's really, he's, he's such a, he's such a yeah. great guy. How do we say he's the reason why we, we stay here? Okay? Today, we're going to talk about discipleship for the future, spirituality of the kingdom, which is a Paul's press book. So that should be exciting. I know we're going to talk to him about a lot of other things too. Mm-hmm. Today. We have a very special guest, Father Frank DiCiano, who was a Paulist father. Father Frank DiCiano was the director of formation for our seminary, and he was the president of the Paulist Fathers from 1994 to 2002. Also running the Paulist Deacon Affiliates Program, and I don't know if running is the right word or not, but he's the one who (laughs) recruited me, and I'm pretty sure he's the one who recruited my, my brothers here, Deacon Dennis and Deacon Tom. And he's written several books, including one we're going to talk about today, Discipleship for the Future, Spirituality of the Kingdom, by Frank P. DeCiano, CSP, a publication of Paulist Press, which I believe is his latest book. But in addition to that, he's written New Perspectives, Faith and Culture in Catholic Education, Discovering My Experience of God, and Reacting Our Catholic Faith. And those are only a few of the titles that he's written. He's a native of the west side of Manhattan in New York City, where as a boy, he was an altar server at our mother church, the Church of St. Paul the Apostle. There's just so many other things to say about Father Frank. He's such an important presence among the Paulist fathers and among the church in America in general. So, what I'd like to do is just bring him in here and start talking to him. Welcome, Father Frank, to our podcast.
3: Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you all. Father Frank, you're the director
0: of the Paulist Deacon Affiliates. And I thought while you were here, we'd have a chance to have you say a few words about that program. How's it going? How's it being received?
3: So the deacon affiliates were not my inspiration. The deacon affiliates were the inspiration of certain deacons who said, you know, our lives are basically being defined in terms of parish ministry. How do we get to define our lives in broader terms, in terms of mission and evangelization? And so I brought this question to our general counsel and said, is there a way that deacons can begin to consistently associate with the Paulist fathers? And so we developed this idea of deacon affiliates, who, while technically not being members of the Paulist community, make the Paulist spirituality and the Paulist vision of mission, not only the attitudes out of which they live, but some of the mission activities that they try to do. So it's a way to bring it into our everyday deacon ministry, questions that they call us to deal with. What's going on in the culture? Where is our society going? Who's not being touched? Who's there that's being unreached? And how do we develop church to do that? And you gentlemen are evidence that this can be done in a variety of ways, in a variety of settings. So Deacon Affiliates is a way in which deacons can augment their deacon life and their spirituality with the vision of Father Hecker and the ideals of the Paulist community.
0: Can you give us a little sense of how how that's done practically? If someone was trying to say, well, gee, that sounds interesting. I wonder if I have time for it. I wonder how it's done.
3: So the formation takes place mostly via Zoom. And it's five or six months, and we go over the founding of the Paulist Fathers, Father Hecker's vision, issues in terms of trying to look at American history and American Catholic history, and then what's going on in the culture today? What does evangelization mean? What does reconciliation mean? How do we bring people together? And so we go through this and through reading and conversation and discussion. And at the end of that, if... The deacon is inspired by the Holy Spirit. He makes a one-year promise, and the promise consists in, I will spend this year praying for the Paulist Fathers and attempting to incorporate the father's vision and mission into my everyday deacon might. And how that happens is going to depend on the deacon and his circumstances and the opportunities that are given to him. And so it's, it's not like become a Deacon Affiliate and you do X. It's like become a Deacon Affiliate and then you begin to think about X, Y, and Z, what's going to work for you.
1: When I learned about the Paulist Deacon Affiliate Program, I went to the website and I learned that the person I should contact is Father Frank DeCiano. So I live right across the river from the mother house, St. Paul the Apostle Church in New York City, which is right next to Lincoln Center. And I emailed Father Frank. He quickly responded and quickly made an appointment with me. I was to meet him in the church. I went over there, and it was my first time at St. Paul the Apostle, and I was just blown away by the magnificence of the church. Now, there are other big churches in New York City, and I'm sure throughout the country, but there was something about the church that just stunned me, and it reminded me of being in one of the cathedrals or basilicas in Europe, quite frankly. So, I wandered around and looked at all the side altars and, and looked up, and I actually found out that Isaac Hecker, who was the founder of the Polish Fathers, who was entombed in the church, and I found where that is. That was kind of amazing to me. And then Father Frank came out, met me, and the rest, as I like to say, is history. Father Frank, tell us a little bit, please, though, about you growing up, because I read it from our, the bio that I had in front of me about the west side of Manhattan, which I believe is Hell's Kitchen. Am I correct?
3: Well, Hell's Kitchen is technically just south of that. We thought of the, the West Side as kind of Hell's Kitchen in general. I grew up in the housing projects that are still there between the 60th and, and 64th Street. And they were new in 1948 when my family moved in, least the buildings along Amsterdam Avenue. So I grew up with Paulists serving and listening to their sermons and getting to know them and especially their mission preaching. And it was vividly impactful on my life. And in the school, we had the Holy Cross sisters. We were, as typical in the 1950s, jammed 50 kids to a classroom with one poor nun that was trying to control us all. But the the formation was, was really terrific and kind of oriented me toward wanting to be a Paulist and wanting to do the ministry that the Paulists do to try and speak to the culture around us and help them know what the Catholic Church could do in their lives.
1: How old were you when you started thinking that maybe being a Paulist was something that you would want to do with your life?
3: Well, one of the things about growing up in the projects is you always think about how am I going to get out of the projects? (laughs) And so I would say I was in the seventh grade when I was saying, oh, if I went to the seminary, that would be a way to get out of the projects. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking about that for my last two years in grade school and then went down to Baltimore where we had a minor seminary. And I was there with about 50 others, maybe 15 or 20 of us in the high school division, and the rest were in first or second year of college. So I have been amply formed by the Paulists, and I like to say if I have any neuroses at all, I attribute that to the Paulist influence in my life.
1: And what year were you ordained as a priest? 1972. Before Vatican II came out then?
3: Well, Vatican II was just coming out at that time. They started coming out in 65. And so the impact of those was slowly being applied through various documents under Pope Paul VI. So that was all part of becoming a priest, being one of the younger Vatican II priests, and feeling that there was a whole vision that, that we were supposed to incarnate in our ministry.
1: What was your first assignment after being ordained?
3: Beautiful place, Portland, Oregon. I fell in love with Portland. There is no greater antidote to being a cynical New Yorker and to go out to Portland where there are beautiful trees and mountains and very open and wonderful people, terrific neighborhoods. It it was like an alternative experience for me. And I love it. I still love it. I have some friends from, many friends from those years way back.
1: How long were you in Portland? I was there for three years. And that was a Paulus father's sponsored church or affiliated church?
3: Yeah, we started there in 1913, I think. And it was really an Italian national parish at its foundation. We tried to find Paulus a new Italian to to staff there. But it basically became a neighborhood parish within the city of Portland. And Portland is a pretty accessible city to get around in, so people could get to different parts of the city without any trouble. So we tried to draw people from around the city to, to our parish at St. Philip Neri.
1: Do we still have, do we, the Paulus Fathers, still have a church there?
3: Unfortunately, the church is there, but the Paulists are not there. We were not able to continue ministry there probably about 12 or 13 years ago we left. Okay but it still has a big place and a lot of Paulist hearts.
1: I only ask that question because I, and I think probably everybody here on this podcast, get inquiries from people who I meet along the way who want to know where the Paulist Father churches are because they love the charism so much and they love the spirituality of the Paulist Fathers. I know there are people down in Miami I've heard from looking for Paulist Father churches. So anyway, where'd you go next? Then I became vocation director for the
3: Paulist Fathers for three years. And then in 1987, I was asked to be pastor of the parish I grew up in, St. Paul the Apostle, which was in when the city was in an enormous state of transition. Our west side of Manhattan had not yet experienced the arrival of lots of yuppies. And uh, it was pretty dangerous to walk around the streets. There were a lot of drugs, a lot of break-ins all the time. And it was also the period when HIV began to emerge which scared everybody to death and nobody knew what it was about. And people were dying of that almost with certainty. So these were, these were very difficult years to be in New York at that time. But fortunately, we were able to hold the parish together and provide for the basis of its future. So that was a great blessing to be there.
1: It also must have been, uh, I can't imagine, fantastic for you to be the pastor of the church in which you grew up in.
3: You know, there weren't many people around that knew me before because there was a lot of transition and right. everybody I knew had been kind of moved out by the so-called urban renewal and they were put into the Bronx and we went to New Jersey or someplace like that. And, and so it was really like, here we are. How do we survive during these years? What does it mean to have this church in the middle of this city? And for me, it was very formative in the sense that it was the first time I began thinking How is a Paulist pastor also a missionary? Because every Paulist is a missionary. And what does it mean to do mission as a parish? And how do you help parishes do mission? And so the idea that all parishes are missionary parishes became a very concrete and burning pastoral consideration in my thinking. And then I went to Boston University and I got a doctor of ministry. And my thesis was, how do you form evangelization teams and parishes and shape them? And I did that for five years in Washington. I had a great time. There probably maybe during that period, maybe 17 parishes that I was able to work in and form teams, and we'd invent different things to do and try them out. So it it was a very experimental and exciting time in terms of, how do you do mission in a parish so that you draw people who are not connected to the church? or draw people who do not know the Catholic faith so that they, they kind of stick their heads in it and we can begin to engage with that.
1: And um, among all these other things you've had, responsibilities, jobs, pastors, pastorships, presidencies, I know today you also preach missions all over the country, correct? Uh, yes,
3: that's starting up again in post-pandemic. So I was able to do one last spring, and I just did one out in Owensville, Kentucky. And I'm going to do another one in Owensboro, Kentucky. So I didn't even know there was an Owensboro, Kentucky. until so they called me up. So, yeah, I, I, I enjoy the, the mission preaching. And I feel like I'm channeling the early Paulists through doing this ministry
1: today. Tom, you want to jump in here? And
2: Yeah, Frank, when when you were doing that revitalization in the parishes to get them to find out how to structure a parish and create team ministries to attract people— how successful was that, and what year was that, I guess? When when were you doing that?
3: Well, I was doing that between 1989 and 1994. So I had five years doing that, and, and I really enjoyed it because the parishes were all different. And so it, it wasn't like I was stuck in one life. I was doing four parishes at a time. So I'd go out each night and visit a parish, and we'd plan some things and do some things. And at that point, the pastors were very supportive of this because, as one of them said, if you want evangelization done, hire an evangelizer and they'll, they'll do it for you, which is unfortunate because every parish really should be thinking about who's not connected to my church. How do we engage those people and how do we involve them and minister them so they can see what the Catholic Church, the riches of our church can bring into their lives? Every parish should be thinking this.
2: But this is 1984, 85, 86. So you were reading the tea leaves at the time as far as knowing that we weren't, we weren't the center of gravity that had been the church history in the 40s, the 50s, the heydays?
3: Yeah, a- actually, it was 1975 when Pope Paul VI wrote on evangelization in the modern world. And that was really shaping a lot of thinking, culminating in the 1990s with the bishop's document Go and Make Disciples, which was their really document incorporating Paul VI's vision on evangelization and calling for us to be a missionary church in the United States on the diocesan and the parish level.
2: Has, has something happened at the, at the parish level where you don't have that support anymore here in 2022?
3: Yeah, I would say what, what's different between 1990 and really since 2000 is I think we're much more inward-looking. We're kind of asking ourselves, are we really disciples? You should be more of a disciple. How do I make you more of the Catholic that I think you should? And so a lot of it is this kind of internal stuff, and you don't really see a lot of energy looking outward. One of the frightening statistics to me is that 10 years ago, we were bringing 140,000 adults into the church. Now that's less than 70,000. And that to me is a thermometer of just how outreaching we are. Now, some of that is the pandemic, and who is going to call it to the catechumenal process during the pandemic. But I think a lot of it is that we are just circling the wagons and looking at each other rather than going to the edge and looking outward, uh, which Christ told his disciples to do.
2: Yeah, the whole idea that even the sacramental life, the uh, heart the core of what our faith is supported and structured by. People just don't have an understanding, the the, the whole depth and awareness of this is a life to give us some of that joy and happiness that the kingdom uh, uh, announces. And yeah, we didn't see it.
3: Yeah, no, we're undergoing a a pretty big shift. In the 1950s, which I can remember, our Catholic identity was the local parish, the priests in the local parish, the nuns in the Catholic schools, Our ethnicity, the Irish went to St. Patrick's, the Italians went to St. Anthony's, et cetera. And so we had a lot of exterior things that we could use to kind of embody or carry Catholic identity along. Even though 40% of Catholics maybe went to communion on a regular basis, we all had this Catholic identity tag. With the shift now, the identity has to come from within. And this is why discipleship is so important, You're not going to go to church because your grandmother was Italian or your grandmother was Polish. You're going to go to church, and you're going to be committed to church and church community because there you find the structures of relationship that make sense out of your life, relationship with Christ, and the power to relate to other people in Christ. And that's that's a very big shift that I think is still underway. It's going to be another fifteen or twenty years before we're able to switch this thing over so that we're thinking more about who we are in our relationship to Christ and each other rather than what church I go to and am I a registered parishioner in that church? Dennis.
0: Yeah, let me just ask you about that last point. What I notice is that everybody has a membership problem. Every right. other kind of church. You know, you get people saying, well, if we brought back the Latin mass, so they'd come back or uh, if we were more liberal. You know, they're, all, they're all going through the same thing we are.
3: There are two basic questions people have to answer. Who am I and to whom do I belong? And both those questions used to be answered much more readily. Who am I used to be, well, these are my parents, these are my grandparents, I become like them. Now, who am I is, who do I choose to be? Right. And what am I going to make of my identity through all the different options that are there for me? The other side is, who do I belong to? And belonging has become very, very difficult, especially in the younger generations from the literature, because people are doing everything through their phones and everything is electronic and everything is a screen. And so the direct relationship, especially among young people, the sense of loneliness among young people and disconnection is very high. And that's not a good sign for faith, because connection is a huge part of, of faith. And if people are unconnected, and don't feel the need to be connected, it's very hard to have church, very hard mm. to have a community, and it's very hard to have the power of us serving others in the name of Christ.
0: Mm. I was watching on the news where they were interviewing some professor who studies protests across the world and what's working, what isn't. I mean, like Harvard professor, serious you know, research. And one of the bottom lines, one of the takeaways was, well, if you just go out and have a tantrum, that you organize on social media, it doesn't affect anything. It comes, it goes, it's over. As opposed to the civil rights movement, they had meetings. They had committees. They had structure. People showed up. It was a long-term commitment. It wasn't the ice bucket challenge on some trendy thing that you did on your Mm -hmm. phone and all that. And so, but again, what it points to is solidarity, commitment, faithfulness over the long haul, showing up for something. I mean, you can say, hey, I don't care about your (laughs) church, buddy, but what, what do you care about? So this seems to be like a tectonic shift that's happening that's affecting the way we do everything on this planet, at least traditionally. And there's nothing electronic so far that's going to say, well, this is going to take the place of that. We don't need meetings. We don't need commitment. We just.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating that at the time when science and faith is showing, stressing so much, the connectedness of everything People are becoming more molecular in their ways of life, and connectedness is, is in their daily life, being uh, lowered in terms of value instead of being raised in terms of value.
0: Yeah, it seems like we're, we're up against something very new and something that's in process. I don't know what it is. Let me ask you this though. Now, having basically grown up Paulist and been formed with everything the Paulist had to throw at you, basically, but not every Paulist makes a choice like you have to to make evangelization in one form or another, kind of a a ministry career choice. When did you decide that that's where you wanted to put your stake in the ground? Why did that grab you? And how did that come about?
3: Right. There are actually two things I want to say about that. One is that. We do want every Paulist to think of himself as a missionary. And even if I'm just, and I don't want to say just, even if I'm an associate in a parish, how am I reaching people? How am I involving them? How am I engaging them? So that's, I I think, is a big part of of the way we've been looking at mission for the last 30 years, and hopefully we'll be more, more successful about that. But As I was telling Drew before, it was really when I was at St. Paul the Apostle, and we had this big, magnificent church, and we kill ourselves to get maybe 400 or 500 people on a weekend. And there was CBS News, and there was NBC News, and there was NPR and all that. And I'm saying, here we are in this city where communication is at its heart, and we are right in the center of the city. How can we be a missionary parish? How do we reach out to others? How do we engage others? So those questions started for me really during that time, trying to figure out how I could merge administering a parish with being a missionary parish.
1: We spent the last 10 minutes talking about, bemoaning the fact that the world has changed and not in a way that we like to see it changed. So what can the Polish Fathers... And we deacons do about that.
3: Well, I I think we really need to be conscious about the business we're in. And that is, however we want to think about organizing church, we have to think of our parishes as communities of disciples. And really preach discipleship as both personal conversion and personal mission. And help people understand that there isn't a church that's going to do everything for them. But we are the church, and our commitment to Christ will open up for us opportunities to touch the lives of people around us. And and a lot of this was implicit in the Second Vatican Council, and it's just kind of being elaborated through various streams around discipleship and spirituality today. One of the ways I say this is we have to convert our language from institutional language into relational language and converting that help people see places for themselves and a way to understand themselves with reference to God and others
1: yeah father stewart wilson smith was one of our early guests and he said kind of the same things about how he reaches out to people is more of a being present to people and making sure they know he's there and I'm just being with them and and not trying to beat them over the head but but let them know that there is a way that they can be made more spiritually comfortable.
3: Yeah, two of the big words that have entered the evangelization vocabulary, thanks to Pope Francis, are encounter and accompany. And what you're talking about with Father Stu was basically right. encountering people and accompanying them. And I think these are going to be ways in which we interpret mission, outreach, and evangelization more than the church is going to conquer the world or we're going to defeat the forces of evil. No, we're going to love, interchange, hold each other through the difficulties of life, and in this way, mirror the kingdom of God in our, in our own everyday experience.
2: I'd like to ask about your new book, Frank, Discipleship, Spirituality for the Future by Paulus Press. It just came out this year. Again, you continue to write on evangelization and uh, give us an uplifting and, and hopeful sense. And when I was reading that, I couldn't help but think of that expression we have, that the notation that our kingdom is already, but not yet. And in the book, is it, is it my interpretation, correct, that you, you try and give the sense that the kingdom now is, is pushing us into the future? There's a whole element of that future, You're pushing us into the future. But yet the fullness of the kingdom of God, really, in God's time, already exists. And this ministry that we have, evangelization, is to focus in on how we all get there. But I found it very, uh, very interesting. I found the message, that whole idea of getting a message when you're in the world that we exist today, when we're confused, we can't figure out what's going on, systemic and, and seismic changes. And yet we have a message of hope from this idea that, you know, this kingdom, it's already here. And it's drawing us into the fullness that God has created for us. And it's a part of, like you say, our evangelization ministry to, to, to get that message out. And it's an amazing thing when you talk about accompaniment and being with people. We've seemed to isolate ourselves more and more. Your book is a, a great response to our need to foster that relationship with one another. Of course, that leads to Christ. Is it right? Was that an image you're trying to do that we're being pushed forward and being drawn at the same time? So my image
3: of the teaching of the church is piano keys, and there are so many piano keys on the, on the keyboard, and that's our doctrine. And these doctrines can be played in different ways at different times, just like a piano can be played. You could play a dirge, or you could play a waltz, or so you could play jazz or what have you. And I've been thinking about some of the themes in our Catholic faith, in the creed that we say every Sunday, that are not as pronounced as other things. And I think the church is far more comfortable proclaiming the death and the crucifixion of Jesus than proclaiming the resurrection and the transformation of human life because of the resurrection and the bestowal of the Holy Spirit by virtue of the resurrection. These doctrines, he died, he rose, he Ascended into heaven and sits at the Father's right hand. Well, that's ancient language for from the right hand of God, as God's direct ambassador to us, Jesus is bestowing divine power among us and bringing about the transformation of the world. So, the virtue I wanted to emphasize, which I think is under treated in Catholicism, is hope that there is inside of us a vision of the future. And this vision of the future is what drives us forward. We see this in our kids. Once they say, oh, wow, yeah, I'm interested in law. I'm interested in business. I'm interested in nursing. Then they start organizing their lives around that vision. Well, Christ is saying, I'm interested in the kingdom. I was born for the kingdom. I lived for the kingdom. I died for the kingdom. I rose from the kingdom. I'm bestowing the Holy Spirit on you so that you, with me, can go about building this kingdom, this new vision, which God has given us. And my, my shorthand for the kingdom is the fullness of life and love. And everything we do is either contributing toward that fullness or diminishing from it. So, so I really wanted to, to, to kind of reorient Catholic spirituality away from the sense of we've sinned and we should be punished for sin and Jesus was punished for sin. And now maybe if I'm good, I may get to heaven someday. I may have to go to purgatory on the frost. No, Easter was the future of humankind. And we are participating in the future and all of Catholic life is living out the actions and the dimensions of the kingdom. When we read scripture, that's the language of the kingdom. When we celebrate sacraments, those are the signs that show the kingdom's presence and make it real in our lives. When we talk about social caring for each other, these are the actions that show what unify us. When we talk about a vision of community, that these are all dimensions of the kingdom. And what a wonderful gift the church has to bring this image to a world that doesn't have hope so often, and doesn't have a vision where all of us together are loved and given the graces to live more deeply, more fully, and more completely. And that's how I see Catholic ministry. Everything I'm doing is some way making the kingdom clearer and more available for people in their everyday lives. Amen. And that emphasis
0: was one that Father Hecker, which is amazing when you think about what the 19th century church was like. And I don't know where Heck. I mean, Hecker, he, he had lunch with the Holy Spirit because I don't know on what basis he came up with half the, the stuff he came up with because we're, we're, we're still trying to get somewhere near him. But he, he used to talk about how you talk to people like they were the most hardened sinners and just awful people and never get to the resurrection, never get, and of course, the Holy Spirit and transformation and everything. So that's a good Paulist vision that we're still trying to catch up to the founder yeah. 150 years later. This book does that, and it makes it accessible to people in the 21st century, that this this is not like you have to develop another mindset or go back in time. This is the world you live in the way you think. I thought it was very, very well done. Yeah. Was that part yeah. of your uh, approach? Yeah, no, I,
3: I think that we need new categories to approach our faith. Because the narration we have is just too pat for people, and oh yeah, Jesus died. Oh yeah, maybe I'll go to heaven. It just it doesn't have the ability to to cohere life today the way it did. And we we actually have scientific breakthroughs that allow us to understand faith and allow us to understand human meaning in a way that wasn't there before. And I'm talking about evolution. That life moves upward, all life is interconnected, everything lives for something else. We are called to live for the other. And this whole process of God creating through evolution and using evolution to bring creation to fullness. And then on the other hand, we have modern particle physics or modern wave physics, however you want to look at it. And I'm certainly not an expert in physics, but it is talking about the interconnectedness of all of existence and the relational reality that's there that's part of all of existence. So I think we have tools to re-envision what our Catholic life is about and re-articulate what our Catholic faith is about. And that's what I tried to kind of outline in the book, Nick, put little scenes I, about that.
1: I, I I think you did an excellent job of bringing those, those points into the book. And, and if I may, I just happened to have one that I had marked off in preparation for today, and and, uh, this is the way the Holy Spirit works. Listen to this sentence from Father Frank's book. A spirituality of the kingdom strives for more than awareness or even inner perfection. The kingdom consists of people coming to relate to each other in the model of God's self-giving love. I mean, that's the book exactly Exactly. and and, and that and live and let me echo what dennis said go out and buy the book because that's just one sentence from the book and you'll find so much more rich material in here about how to live the kingdom in today's world in a way that gives us hope for the future i mean
0: it's a daily meditation devotional book
1: i think you should redo it
0: to little one-page things and repackage it because it's just so rich, and you could take those, like the passage Drew read, and really chew on them and make them your own. Make them part of, of your own spirituality, your own life. It's very rich. And the other thing I would just like to point out, because I don't know that everybody appreciates it, but I certainly did. I discovered the kingdom of God. I mean, heard the word. you hear at church and stuff like that, but I discovered it when I was doing my grad work at Boston College, and I had Dick McBride a great ecclesiologist as my professor, and he did a couple classes on the kingdom. And where this book is so germane, because it focuses on the reign of God, on the kingdom of God, is that you can't understand church properly without the kingdom. The whole thing goes sideways. We become self-referential. And so this is really one of the ways to untangle ourselves in one of the ways to to go to the peripheries and stop the navel gazing and realizing what it is we're involved in this bigger picture and not just a cramped view of a defensive church kind of thing. So I think that this the focus on the kingdom in and of itself is a tonic for what ails us.
3: I look at this kind of like a a, a better way to think about apologetics, which is Why should anybody be interested in the church? For most of my formative years, I was a Catholic so I could save my soul and go to heaven. And we were very impressed with all the ways in which we might lose our souls and not go to heaven. So we kind of lived on that edge. And and I would say now, why am I a Catholic? I am a Catholic because I belong to a worldwide community that points to and begins to embody the kingdom of God. And by being part of this community, I am helping participate in God's vision of the future. And building that vision of the future is what gives meaning not only to my life, but gives meaning to humankind as well. And so I I look at this very much as a, a way to say why we are living and what is the orientation of our life it's not trying to fix something in the past, it's trying to be with God in building the future together.
0: Hmm. And, and, and the other thing that strikes me is that just the idea the need for the church, you know, that being a part of the community is what not only calls us to be better and gives us example, but also the aggravation that we cause each other. We kind of rub each other smooth, whether it's marriage or or the church community. That's a necessary process. In the same way, the church is is this necessary component if you want the goal you're talking about.
3: Yeah, exactly. And unless you're connected to another, you don't know what life is about. We don't live for ourselves. We live to give our lives to those we love, and that is the heart of of the divine, what I call divine love, is to love not for oneself, for what one gets, but to love for what one can give to the other. And this, I think, was the ministry of Jesus, and this is what I think the presence of the Holy Spirit brings about in us, that it's not about me, it's about me in connection to and living for the other and how I find my meaning there. And that happens through the the gift of the Holy Spirit that comes because Christ is raised from the dead. And the limits that we have are now removed because of the Spirit's presence. All flesh is changed because Christ rose from the dead. Once Christ is raised from the dead, life cannot be the same. And we as Catholics are an Easter people. More than we're a people of Christ's passion and suffering, we are an Easter people because his death was so that he could rise and bestow the Spirit upon us. And so how do we live Easter? How do we live this future? How do we live union with Christ, union with the risen Christ, continuing to carry out his mission in the way we care for each other?
1: So here's a question for you in in connection with all the things we've been talking about. A parish priest whose parish is pretty quiet these days comes to you, and this parish hasn't had any RCIA folks in a few years. Baptisms and weddings are few. What are two very practical tips that you could give to that priest to help light a fire at that parish?
3: So... I mean, the first thing I do, apart from saying, here's my book you can read. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. No, I would would not be that self serving I would try, I would invite the priest to think about what the Eucharist means. That the Eucharist is a gathering of people and it is a sending of people. And I would say, Father, how can you gather people better? Who's not being gathered? And how can you begin to reach them? And how can you help your folks begin to reach them? And then I would say, Father, think of the people who are not being touched and the ability that your parish has to touch these people in all the level of their needs, whether it's spiritual need, whether it's social need, whether it's educational need or what have you. How can your parish do that? The second thing I would say is every parish should look like the kingdom of God. What Jesus did should be present in every single parish, Father. How can this happen in your parish? Let me help you organize that. Let me help you see what structures you can employ so that your parish is not a group of people that are coming together, celebrating Mass, and then it's over, but your parish is a community of disciples celebrating their conversion, their encounter with Christ, and then bringing that to the world around them. That's kind of what I would try to do.
1: When you think of it like that, and, and you come up with that advice, I think about your life and, and what we know about your life and how you grew up in that milieu of the, every life was centered around the parish, if you will, and it was always there for you in that, in, on the west side over there at St. Paul the Apostle. Is there anything about that experience in growing up and, and having the family being able to rely on the parish for some modicum of sanity in their lives? Does that is that part of what motivates you to think like this, or is it a complete new generational thing?
3: No, I, I think that the what I experienced in the fifties in big, large institutional categories can, in some ways, be experienced today through the communal experiences of parish that you have to create the occasions whereby people in parishes can see their relationships the joy of that relationships and the desire to extend those relationships further. If all we're doing is mass and CCD, we're not doing the dynamic life of parish that we're called to do. We're not doing the let's get together, let's celebrate, let's invite people, let's mix things up. Let's let people know that we exist, that we have this wonderful message. And this message isn't for us to keep to ourselves. So, I mean, I feel that unless a parish is a missionary parish, the people in that parish are being deprived because the very nature of Catholic life is mission. And mission isn't conquering the other people. Mission is opening the kingdom of God to the people around us.
1: Do you have any advice for a parish that's going through a cultural change? In other words, I'm in New Jersey here, and I I don't know if it's the same for the parishes that Tom and Dennis experience in Florida. But we are moving from an old Irish-Italian parish into an Asian parish, and, it, and we're not there yet. We're not. We're still more old-school Italian and Irish with a smattering of Hispanic, but we're slowly, slowly growing in an Asian population. How do we deal with that?
3: I mean, there is no church that has the ability to celebrate multicultural more than the Catholic Church, because we have every culture within us. And you have to create occasions whereby people get to know the other. And knowing the other, two things happen. One is I stop fearing them. And two is I start loving them. And so you have to create these occasions where people mingle. And you know, I would think very interesting there would be a kind of an international potluck occasion. And i go around, i get people, drink your favorite dishes, and then structure the things so people got introduced and they were able to mix together, and there was maybe some big giant cake that everybody would celebrate at the end. And maybe you think of other things that we might do in terms of arts, in right. terms of music or, or things like that, to facilitate the joining of people with people, because that is so exciting. I know 59th Street, the Central Park South people, Really got a kick out of hanging out with the project people. Yeah. I mean they really—they really thought, you know, while well, I'm hip, I'm down. <laughs> I'm down in the streets and hanging out with my, with my bro over here. So th- there's a lot of energy in that, and that I think begins to open up new future patterns whereby people can share life and share mission with each other.
1: And, and I would just say to any deacons who are listening out there who might be considering it that. Father Frank, of of course, said it just right. I have felt no pressure to do some program dictated by the Paulist. What I have felt is support and encouragement. Father Frank is a resource for ideas, for thoughts, and, and, and they're always there for us. I just think it's a wonderful
2: program. That's the whole idea of a company yeah. and, and for our own, uh, right. to see right. that we're in a, 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 bigger, a bigger world and support one another. And you have yeah. the resources
0: of of not just Father Frank, but the other Paulists who work in various ways. That you can get in touch with them if you, there's something you're working on that they're working on, you get some ideas. We also do some retreats from time to time and right. little little zooms where we talk about things mm-hmm. that are happening and everything. Like every couple months, we'll have a, an evening where we'll just who's ever around gets on. And so the accompaniment thing I think is excellent, Tom. That's that is what it is because a lot of times we're we're on our
2: own. We're we're really on our own. Yeah. Forward observer, we used to call it in the Army, right? You're on your own, Skippy. Yeah, the (laughs) first to go. (laughs) One last question.
1: Parish shopping. Is parish shopping okay for a Catholic? Are we being too picky, or is it better to stay put and make our local place better?
3: Right. I was in a diocese where I was looking at the map of the parish, and I said, oh, look at the parish there. It looks like a lot of territory. And the pastor said to me, We don't have parish boundaries anymore in our diocese. People go where they want, which surprised me because usually pastors are pretty parish territory conscious. I would say that you're not going to stop people from shopping in our world because it's a world where people do that. But once you start, then to commit yourself to that. If I, I want to go, like we see in New York, people coming in from Astoria and other parts of Queens to celebrate mass on Sunday night with young adults. If you're going to do that, stay with that because you're only going to grow if you're in a consistent community and are contributing to that community and being enriched by that community. And I think jumping from church to church to church means I don't belong anywhere. And belonging is key because as uh, Jesus said, If you don't love the brother next to you, if you don't love the sister next to you, how can you love God? It's got to come down to serving with and growing with other people who are in my community.
0: I just wanted to ask Father Frank if you'd like to tell us quickly about any of the new programs that Paulist Evangelization Ministries is putting out to help people do all this evangelization stuff we've been talking about.
3: Yes, we have a range of ministries and our website is PEMDC.org, Paul Edward Mary, org, And you'll find there a section with a lot of free resources. And among those free resources are dozens of webinars that we've done on a variety of things from small forming small groups to reaching an active Catholics, to beefing up how you invite people to the RCIA, and all those kinds of things. We also have a range of programs for small group activities. We're very happy to have a program called Living the Eucharist, which during this Eucharistic revival, I think will touch the hearts of many people, but also other small group programs like Sent to Serve, which talks about the service dimension of what it means to be a Christian, or the Journey, El Camino, which is a way to explore our fundamental relationships with Christ. Some of the new things we're working on, one is called Pathways in Faith. And this is a set of resources for people who serve in the RCIA, the Catechumenate, whereby people enter the church. And it's a way to make all of our conversations that we do with these people into conversations, a conversational model of sharing faith with others. And it's, it's a whole website, Pathfaith, uh, pathwaysinfaith.org, with a lot of resources, and I hope a lot of religious leaders, uh, DREs and, and others who are doing adult faith formation will go there and look at that because I think it has, has great resources. The other one, which is going to come out any day now, <laughs> we've been working on it for several years, is called the Catholic Discipleship Profile. And in that, you take 15 minutes and you respond to a set of questions, and then you get a very extensive readout of how you live discipleship. And it talks about the ways in which you are most likely to actualize your faith and ways in which you tend not to actualize your faith all that much. And so it gives you insight into the strengths of your discipleship and the areas of discipleship which can grow in your life. And we're going to have this for individuals and groups. That'll be out very soon. And then not long after that, we're going to even have whole parishes be able to do this. So I think it's just a great way for people to explore the meaning of discipleship in general, but also how one lives discipleship in our own personal lives, in our everyday lives, and in the groups that we, we minister with.
0: And a lot of that was free. Remember yep. that. Yeah. So go to Paul's <laughs> yeah. Evangelization Ministries, P-E-M-D-C dot org, because it's in Washington, D.C. That's the D.C., I assume, right? Yep. yep. Yes. And go there, and there's stuff for prison ministry, if you've got a group like that. There's all kinds of stuff, and a lot of it is just sitting there waiting for you. And the webinars are excellent, and you can watch them whenever you want. And so you put some meat on the bones of this discipleship, evangelization, future of the kingdom stuff we've been talking about.
3: Yes. And every week I I put a homily up. So my, my spirit is still energetic enough to try and get that organized and put that out. So that's there for inspiration, for personal reflection, and even for some discussion questions as well.
0: So when do you sleep? This is what now, This is what I want to know. When do you sleep, now, and what kind of vitamins do you take? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I wish I could sleep on the plane. I get to bed. I'm probably the last one to bed. So, but I have, I have the uh, unfortunate, the misfortune to be haunted all the time, and so <laughs> things come to me, and I get excited. That's why I love being a fallist. The ongoing challenges that the idea of mission brings into one's life, and the way it keeps you always energized and, and always looking ahead. I, I just, I I don't know how I could live without that.
1: Father Frankie, it's been wonderful.
3: Thank you. It's great to see you guys, to hear you guys. Always a pleasure to see you Thank you.
0: Special thanks to El Jefe, Paul Snatchko, and our editor, David Dalt. The Deacon's Pod is powered by the Paulist Fathers. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts, and of course, at our own website, www.deaconspod.com. That's D E A C O N S with an S, deacons, plural, pod, all one word, dot com. And of course, we'd love to hear your comments at our email address, which is deaconspod, again, with an S, deacons, at paulus.org. That's P A U L I S T. Org. Love to hear from you. That's our offering. We thank you for being with us. On behalf of our colleagues at the Missionary Society of St. Paul the Apostle, we wish you a future brighter than any past. Till next time.